Hello, everybody. Uh, Matthew Tilly here with the uh, um, uh, midweek encouragement for you out of the, the scriptures. We're going to be looking at uh, the Gospel of Mark. Um, I call this uh, sort of informally, even though that's actually the technical name of my podcast. I call it the Seeking, uh, Seeking Christ in the Scriptures. Uh, just a, a little word about that. I actually like that idea of that, that the whole point of the Bible study is to find Jesus there. Uh, one, he is the word. He is God's communication to us, most perfect communication to us. Hebrews chapter one, uh, verses one and two tells us that. Uh, but also Jesus says that that's in John chapter um, five and verse 39, I believe it is, where he says that, uh, and I'm, gonna, I'm not quoting exactly, but the idea of it is, he says, you, you, you search the scriptures and you think that's where you're going to have information. That's where you're going to get the words of life. I believe this is the way he puts it. Um, but he says, those words that you're searching in the scriptures, those are, those words speak of me, he says. So that's where I get that from seeking Christ in the scriptures. And, uh, uh that's what we're going to be doing here. But, um, I'm on Thursday night, which I have been trying to do this on Tuesday and, uh, next week, I'll be back on Tuesday. Thanksgiving's next Thursday. So uh, Thursday won't make sense anyway. Plus, it will get me back on schedule. So we'll get back next week on Tuesday. But uh, tonight, thank you for joining me. I see a few of you have joined. Really do appreciate you doing that. And um, I hope that this has been profitable to you. I've gotten a lot of good feedback from some of uh, some friends that uh, was able to see actually uh, last Sunday night. Uh, which was great to see some uh, some friends from uh, Ellisboro Baptist uh, when I was preaching over in Reedsville uh, this past Sunday night, and it was really nice to see them and get some very specific feedback that they really enjoy it, and I appreciate that. Appreciate you guys letting me know. Um, but again, I'll I'll just I'll put that same call out to anybody that's listening. Um, if you're hearing this at all, you, you should uh, have a way, you know, through social media or a phone number or whatever, you, you just reach out to me and let me know if there's any questions you have. I really would uh, enjoy having that kind of interaction. Um, and if you find this to be valuable, I'd love to hear that as well. But uh, we're going to go ahead and get into the study tonight. Uh, it's, it's a study. Generally, this whole thing is a Bible study. But tonight, I think what I've got is probably a little more devotional a bit of a devotional thought. It's something I've been, as I've, uh, I was trying to prepare for having these conversations with you, this, when I was reading this passage in Mark, so we're in Mark chapter one, verses four through 11, it's the baptism of Jesus. So we'll, that's where we'll, we'll look at that again. Um, when we looked at that last, uh, the last time we were together, but I was looking at a little more about what G, what, what Jesus's baptism represented. But there was one layer that as I was studying it, this has been a week, few weeks back. So I was studying for this that really popped out to me. And that was the role and responsibility that John the Baptist plays. So there, there's two characters in Mark chapter one, verses four through 11. There's two characters that really show up. You've got, of course, Jesus. And that's who we talked about last week with Jesus and the, the, what his baptism represents, what it means for us, why it matters, those kind of things. So we talked about that last week. But the other character that we I want to talk about tonight is uh, John. And again, it's more of a devotional thought. I want to I want to show you some things from from the passage, but it's it's really something that's that's um, I think 
kind of spoken to me, if that's a good way to put that. And it's made me think about um, the gospel of Christ and my responsibility, my role in the gospel. So here's what I want to do. Uh, first, I like to begin with a word of prayer. Um, I And I'll just encourage you anytime you're studying the scripture for you to go to the Lord and ask for some help. Um, it is his word. It's a supernatural book. We're going to need supernatural help. So I'm praying for that purpose. And I'm doing that in part because I need it, but also in part because I think it's a good uh, practice. And I want to model that for anybody that's studying along with me. So let's pray together and uh, begin our study. Lord, I, I need your help to show these people that are listening. Show me what your word says. Help me and help us all to apply it so that the word that you've given, it accomplishes its mission. It does exactly what you intend for it to do. And I pray that we'll be transformed by it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're in Mark chapter 1, and I won't read that whole passage. Hopefully you have a copy of God's word with you, and you can look along. We're in chapter 1, verses 4 through 11 is the section of, of, of scripture that I'm going to look at. Um, but, uh, if you'll start in verse four and I'm not going to read the whole passage cause we did that last time and you can read it on your own, but I want to pick out a couple of things, uh, for you. First of all, in John chapter four or Mark chapter four, or, excuse me, Mark chapter one, verse four is what I'm trying to say. You've got John who shows up, he's baptizing in the wilderness and he's preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. So John is introduced to us. So that's that's the person I want to focus in on. But as you see that, this is what verses four through, let's see here, goes down to about verse, um, excuse me, I've lost my place, down to verse eight, four to eight. That's describing John's ministry. And then from nine to 11, that's describing the actual baptism of Jesus. So that's what's going on in this passage. So we see John and we're introduced to him and it tells us about his ministry. If you know much about John, you can kind of see it in verse six that he's clothed in camel's hair. He's eating locust and wild honey. He's a, he's a bit of a wild man. He's, he's definitely, uh, he's definitely getting people's attention. He's definitely shocking. He's preaching something that uh, a lot of people care about. They, they want their sins forgiven. So he, he's preaching and teaching how that happens. And I believe that all of scripture works together. I don't believe it all, any of it contradicts. I believe that Jesus's ministry and John's ministry were complementary. They were not of different orders or different words, worlds, uh, but instead Jesus was the, the fulfillment of John's ministry. So when, G, when Jesus, excuse me, when John is preaching this repentance of sin and this baptism for the repentance of sin, he's not preaching a different gospel. He's ultimately pointing towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he is pointing to what, what's going to happen. In fact, if you know much about John the Baptist, he's known as a forerunner, uh, kind of that, that person who's announcing that Jesus would come. So he is, in essence, going before Jesus, before he ever shows up on the scene. And he's telling you, right, Jesus is coming. And as part of that, he's offering this, this uh, religious rite of baptism and that religious rite of baptism, what that's doing is not saving them. The, the water doesn't do anything. There's nothing, there's nothing in essence, in, 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 in uh, um, essential to the, the water that's on the skin. That's really accomplishing anything spiritually. What it instead does is it helps to give an indication, a symbol, just like it does for us today, except instead of looking backward as we do, as we look back to the cross, 
this is looking forward. So it's it's all complementary and working together. But as I'm reading through this about John, and you see John is, is very prominent here in this passage, what does John's presence in this tell me about the relationship, or what is John's relationship, rather, to the gospel of Jesus? So that's what I want to just spend a little bit of time thinking out loud with you about and trying to show you some things from this passage. What is John's relationship to the gospel of Jesus? Because again, go back to verse one. Don't forget that. This is the headline of the whole passage. This book is the, this verse rather is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's all about the announcement of his coming, that he is, that he is the one that, that we're waiting for. He is the King. He's the Messiah. So what's John's relationship to this? Well, first of all, and there's it's really, really just a couple of simple points here. But the first point I want to make to you is that John's in terms of John's relationship to the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus is not about John. That's the first thing you need to take, take note of. It's not about John. Is John in this passage? Of course he is. He's announcing Jesus and he's baptizing, looking forward to the to Jesus's suffering and, and sacrifice and forgiveness of sins. But John recognizes, and we need to also recognize that the gospel of Jesus is not about John. John is not the point. Now you say, well, of course that's the that's true. But I want to, I want to, I want to point out a passage to you over in John, the gospel of John. Uh, chapter three. I'm trying to find that real quick here. Got John chapter three. I want to show you this. If you've got a copy of God's word, it might help you to go over there with me. This is in John chapter three and John the Baptist, the same John here that we're talking about is talking and he's in uh, the, the, the John, the revelator, he is, he's quoting or writing down what John the Baptist has said. And here's what John says. And this is in John chapter three and verse 28. Listen to what he says. He says, ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. So John is very clear. I'm not Jesus. I'm not the Messiah you're looking for. I'm sent before him. That's what he says. He says, and I like the way he does this in verse 29. This is a verse that I've been meditating on a lot lately. He says, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom. Now, listen to what he's saying. At a wedding, there's someone who's marrying the bride and it's called the, he's called the bridegroom. So he's the groom and he's marrying the bride. And he says, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom. So, so we understand that concept. There's a man and woman getting married that the one that's getting married to the bride is called the groom. But he says, but the friend of the bridegroom. So you've got say the best man in, in today's vernacular, the best man when he stand, which standeth and heareth him rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. He's essentially saying this friend of the bride, the, the friend of the, the friend of the groom said he is happy when he hears the groom's voice. He's not focused on the bride. He's not trying to get the bride. He's not because that the bride's taken. She's with the groom. You understand that? He's not the best man. He's not making this day about himself. He is so happy that his friend has been able to be married to his friend so that he's rejoicing about that. He's saying, this is the comparison here for John. He's saying, I'm glad that I could introduce 
the bride of Christ to her groom, Jesus. I am glad about that. I'm excited about that. I'm not over here trying to get the, the, the bride to be with me because she belongs to him. You see how, how he's doing that? And, and he says, uh, I just lost the place again. Let me find it back here. He says, he said, this, my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He says, my happiness comes from the fact that my Savior, my friend, Jesus, he is known and loved and appreciated by his people, the people that he's trying, his church, his, his, his bride. That's what I'm trying to be about. My role is making that connection. That's why he says in verse 30, and you know this verse, I'm sure, he, Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. So I'm just, I'm trying to get you to see that John fully understood that this gospel of Jesus Christ was not about him. Now, is does John have a role here? Of course he does, but it's not about John. See, so this, is, this is what happens if you get yourself a little too mixed up with the gospel of Jesus. You can start preaching a gospel that is, and I'm using that word gospel in kind of quotation marks, not the real gospel, but a, uh, a message, if you will, you can start preaching a message, a gospel that looks and sounds a whole lot like your belief system, your ideas, your way of seeing the world. And before you know it, and you've seen guys that have done this, uh, you see, you know, a lot of these, uh, these guys that, that, like the, what they call the televangelist types and uh, some of these cult leaders and uh, some of these guys that write books. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people that, that can fall into this and, and we can, we can throw, we can throw rocks at them because we're not them, but, but for the grace of God, we can go there too. So be careful with that because this is what I'm trying to warn us against is that we don't want to get to the place where what we're teaching is that you need to come to me. You need to hear me. You need to hear my message and what I've got to say. It's, it's an easy thing to do, but John fully knows, yes, is God using him? Yes, he is. But the message is not about John. It's always and only about Jesus. He says, I must decrease. He needs to increase. I'm just happy to be at the party is what he's saying. I'm just happy to be at the party because Jesus is he's coming for his bride. He's coming to, to, to take the sins of the world on his shoulder. He's taking that and I'm just letting the world know he's here. That's what John's message is. So his first point I want you to understand about John's relationship to the gospel of Jesus is the gospel of Jesus is not about John. First thing. Second thing. John understood that everything that Jesus represented is better than anything John could offer. I want you to see this back in Mark chapter 1 in verse 7 and 8. This is a key passage for understanding John's role and responsibilities here. Look at verse 7 and 8. This is what John is preaching. He says, there cometh one mightier, there cometh one mightier than I after me. He says, Jesus is mightier. Now, I want you to understand this, that, that John, he's a powerful preacher. In fact, J Jesus even says in another place, he says that, that John, uh, of all the men born to women, he, he's, he's the greatest. He, he really, he, he thinks, he explains that we should see John the Baptist as a, as a great man, a great man of God, a great preacher. 
and so John, I think, was a was a good preacher in his own right. I mean, he drew crowds. People were amazed by him. So there was something about John that drew people. But John is saying, "I'm whatever you think of me, good, bad, and different, there's somebody that's stronger than I am that's coming. G, or John was merely, at best, the best he could offer and what he would say. The best he could offer was he was an announcer. Jesus was the one who could meet the needs. So even in this passage, we're seeing John baptizing for the remission of sins. That's what it says there in verse four. But what he is essentially saying and what his whole message is, if you if you take from that, that John was somehow saying, I'm forgiving your sins, you're missing. You didn't hear John because that's not the way John talks anywhere in scripture. When he's doing this repentance or remission of sins, he's saying, I'm going to baptize you in light of the fact that there is one coming who can and will forgive your sins. I'm doing nothing. All I'm doing is telling you about it. He's saying there's somebody who can actually meet your needs. All I can do is announce that he's coming. He also says in that same, go back to verse seven. He says, he's mightier than me. Then he says, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. He's saying that he, John, is not worthy, that Jesus is so much more worthy, much more valuable. I mean, you can think about this in the, in the light of the way Mark is writing this uh, about the king who's coming, that, the, that inaugural uh, address that we see, that this announcement of the new king that's in, that's in, in coming into place. Uh, that's that in light of that, we now see he, John, the Baptist is says, I'm not even a, a, a good servant. I don't even deserve to be able to untie his shoelaces. Essentially. That's what he's saying. The point is that Jesus is the main attraction. John is really, and he's telling you, I'm not worthy of your time and attention. I'm wanting you to see the one you need to pay attention to. I'm not even worthy to be in the wardrobe or part of the wardrobe uh, crew. If you can imagine, there's a there's a play being put on. Someone has got you know some famous actor is going to be on the stage, and 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 everybody that that knows anything about uh, theater, they they want to see this actor playing. Well, John is saying. Jesus is that actor. Jesus is that play. He's the main attraction. Me, John, I'm just over here. The best I can offer you is I'm, I'm putting up a billboard for you so you know what time to show up to the theater. That, that's the kind of thing that he's saying. Now, don't, don't miss this. It's not that John wasn't a good role model. He's not saying, don't look at my life. He's not saying, don't listen to me. He's not saying, ignore me. And I think sometimes we can get that kind of, I've heard people say before something to the effect of, you know, well, you know, I, I, you know, I'm nobody's perfect and I'm not perfect. So, you know, they don't even pay attention to what I'm saying and doing. I understand your, your sentiment and the humility is appreciated, but we need to be more like Paul when he says in first Corinthians chapter 11 and verse one, that be followers of me as I am of Christ. So the point of this is, fine, look at me as much as you need to, but what I want you to see is not me and how great I am, but see the fact that we're following after the one and get in line behind him. And if it helps you to see me do it first, okay, fine. See me, 
but then get in line behind Jesus. And that's what John is doing for us. He goes on to say, and I like the, I like this last part here. He says, not only am I un, unworthy to, to even stoop down and, and unloose his shoes, he goes into verse eight, he says, I indeed have baptized you with water. And he is here acknowledging he has done something. What he has done is he has provided them an important symbol, an important uh, indicator of what's going to happen. This water, I think I've told you in the past lessons, is a indication of the judgment of God and that there needed to be someone who would pass through that judgment on our behalf. That's why Jesus shows up here in the in a few verses. He passes through that water and he is giving us a, a an image, a symbol of what he will do on the cross a few years later. What he's going to do in actuality, he does in a symbol, in a in a picture form here in this passage. And John is saying, listen, I've baptized you with water. I have shown you what Jesus is really going to do for you. I have shown you that he is going to pass through the, the, the waters of judgment for you. However, I'm baptizing you with water, but look at what Jesus does. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Now, for those of you that are my Pentecostal friends on here, maybe listening to this, I don't think he's talking about speaking in tongues any kind of slain in the spirit sort of thing. The baptizing of the Holy Spirit is really this idea that the real power is going to show up. Let me, let me explain this. He's talking about the reality of salvation in, in, in general. He's talking about the reality of salvation. Because you can get baptized nine ways to Sunday, but if Jesus never died on a cross, never was buried, and never came back to life, I don't care. You, you could drown in a, in a pool of water, and you're not going to heaven. It's because of what Jesus secured on the cross by paying for my sins. What he offered, his grace gave to me, that's because I have self. That's why I have self. That's where the reality comes from. And, and that happens, that, that, that reality of salvation happens because of the Holy Spirit's work. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Uh, Paul writes this to Titus over in Titus chapter 3, uh, verses 5 and 6. He says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. I can't do it good enough. But according to his mercy, he saved us. So he was so kind and so loving and so gracious as to save me. But how did he do that? This is the important phrase here to, to connect it back to, what does he say there? Baptize you with the Holy Ghost. He says, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Christ Jesus, our Lord, our, our Savior. What I'm trying to get you to see here is the way we're saved, make sure I say this, I got to connect these dots for you because I want you to hear this very clearly. The way that you are saved is because Jesus died on the cross for your sins. The way that is applied to you is the Holy Spirit comes in and he regenerates you. He makes you new from the ground up. He makes you a new creature in Christ. That is called regeneration. And he renews you, makes you a completely new person. That's what happens. That's called power. Put it to you another way. I want to give you another, uh, another thought on this. First Corinthians chapter two, 
Paul is talking to the Corinthian church. There's a lot of infighting. There's a lot of uh, different personalities that are that are that are doing all this all the things. If you know about the Corinthian church, they they have uh, that. They're a pretty typical church. I, I'm, I'm Baptist, as many of you know, and uh, we're pretty typically Baptist. They're pretty typically Baptist. Uh, that's that's my experience. Uh, always something to fuss about. Always something to fight about, right? And Paul goes in when he goes in in chapter two, First Corinthians chapter two, verse two through five. He says, "I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ." and him crucified. He said, that's, that was the thing. Y'all were focused on this doctrine and this personality and this practice and this thing. He says, I didn't want to know any of that. I wasn't about any of that. I was only about Jesus and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling and my speech and my preaching. He says, this is listen to this was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. He said, I wasn't trying to convince you impress you, make you, make you weak in the knees. I wasn't trying to do anything with the words that I used, but he said, instead, my words, what I preached was in demonstration of the of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. All of this is to simply get you back to this point. Let me, let me say it another way. Just, just had a thought and we give it to you this way. There is no salvation apart from God. But when God gets involved, when God saves a man, when God saves a woman, that person's life is transformed. Now, I've heard great preachers, people who could just, as they say, preach the paint off the walls. But can I just go ahead and tell you that that preaching will not save anybody. Do you know what will save save people? When the Holy Ghost comes in and he transforms a man's heart, when he transforms a woman's mind, when he transforms those people from creatures who were, were against God to people who love God, that's when that that's the power of God. Now, if you're listening to the words that I just said and you're paying attention to that, I hope there's a, a bit of a conflict in your mind. And here's let me go ahead and point out the conflict that should be in your mind in case it's not there. Because I sometimes I wonder if that if I'm doing what I'm trying to do. Yes, it's not about Jesus. I'm sorry, it's not about us, it's about Jesus. That was John's view. Because everything about Jesus is better. But we get to have a role in it. Remember the preacher I just said that preacher can paint the uh, uh, preach the paint off the walls. And I said, no, he can't save anybody. That's a true statement. But you know, some of those preachers, and you can think of men that you've heard that have really know how to, to share the gospel, share the word, share it in a way through the force of their personality, explain it, all the things, whatever it just connects with people. And you've seen those same men be able to preach and give an invitation and people will come and get saved. In fact, some of you may have heard messages like that and you have you have responded in faith because of what they said. Why did you get saved? Was it because that man was so good? No, 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 no. No, not at all. It's because you and I, men, women, we get to have a role in the gospel. I'm looking at this story about Jesus's baptism, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this immediately out of the gate, we're introduced to John. Now, don't miss this. 
This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is enough. That's all we need. But God chose, verse 4, to introduce us to John, baptizing in the wilderness. God chose to give John a role in the gospel. And you know what John did with that role? Before Jesus ever showed up, you know what he told? He just told everybody, he's coming, he's coming. That's what he says in verses 7 and 8. There's one that's coming. He's mightier than me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you some pictures of what this is going to look like. But when he comes, it's going to be real. It's going to be the real deal. And you're going to want to, you're going to want to see him. He, 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 he announced or served him during his ministry in verse, uh, verse nine, you'll see that, um, Jesus comes and he's baptized by John. He gets the privilege of doing that because he's going to serve Jesus while he's here. And every time you see John, every time he is mentioned in the scripture, what is he doing? Pointing people to Jesus. All of that's to simply tell you this. People don't need you. They don't need me. Y'all don't even need me. I'd like to think some people need me, but the fact is we don't need, that's not what we need. We need Jesus. You know that. I hope you know that. I want you to know that. But as much as people need Jesus, I don't know why he did this, but he decided, he chose and he knows much better than anything I ever could imagine, anything better than you can imagine. He knows best. He chose to use me and you and people like John the Baptist. He chose to use us to connect people to him. In fact, I want to read this as a, before, I, before I let you go. I want to read this to you. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I, read, I, I quoted or referenced verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's that power of the Holy Spirit that comes in and transforms people's lives. That's possible. That can happen. That's when, when God shows up in a man or woman's life, that's what happens. But keep reading verse 18. And all things are of God and hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. So I needed the gospel. I needed to be reconciled to Jesus. I needed help so that I could be a new creature in Christ. But keep reading. And hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. He said, you know, old Matthew, he ain't worth nothing, but I'm going to save him. That old Matthew, he, 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 he's a nice enough fella, but he deserves hell, but I'm going to change him. That old Matthew, he, he, he's got a heart that's, that's black with sin, but I'm going to wash it white as snow. But I'm not going to be done with that. I'm actually going to use him to let the world know, and people just like him, to let the world know that I love them and I came to die for them, that I am the king. Keep reading. To wit, that God was in that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. We get to have a role in this. John the Baptist is a great model. There, it's not about him. As great as he was, it wasn't ever about him. It's always only about Jesus. But don't miss. You get to tell people. You get to announce announce the Savior to people. You get that opportunity, and 
God is going to use you in those ways. He's, he's, he wants to. He's promised to. In fact, that's what Matthew chapter 28, uh, verses 18 through 20 is all about. He's promised that he's going to use you to share the gospel with the, the nations of the world. That's uh, the, the thought for this evening. I appreciate you sticking around and listening to that. Maybe some of you watching this after or listening to this after it's been recorded. Um, but I hope that this is an encouragement to you that it's, it's sort of both a encouragement and a rebuke, I suppose. The encouragement is God wants to use you, but the rebuke is be careful. Don't make it about you. Make sure it's always about him. I hope that's clear to everybody. I'm going to close there. Next week, I'm going to, next Tuesday, I'm going to uh, continue on to the next section of the Mark chapter one. And this is where Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. And I think there's some, some really interesting uh, uh, lessons to learn there, but we'll dig into the temptation. Uh, Mark gives a very abbreviated uh, version of that story. You'll you see much more involved uh, por portions of that, but I want to emphasize this for you. So if you're doing any studying, looking ahead, certainly study what, what happened with the, with the temptation of Christ. That's important in, in itself. But in the context of Mark, notice that he's being very brief with it. He only he has certain details. Notice what he's doing with those details, because Mark is very stingy with the information he gives. But when he does give, when what he gives, that's important. So pay attention to that, how brief he is. But notice the specific phrases he uses, the specific details he does choose to share versus the ones he doesn't share. I think that's going to be very telling to help us understand what's going on there. But in the meantime, um, make sure you're sharing Jesus with somebody. We'll talk to you all later.